0: Welcome to another Ford the Rock podcast presented by The Element of Rockford. And here's your host, Ed McCullough, Director of The Element. Welcome to The Element podcast again. Uh, Today, our guest is a community activist of much renown, Mike Shabloski, And I think I nailed the pronunciation of his last name after some appropriate instruction from him. In full disclosure, Mike and I have known each other now for three or four years and worked on several projects together. Uh, but he's, in my mind, perhaps the leading community activist, volunteer activist in, our, uh, in Rockford. So uh, let's just start out with Mike, a little background. You're a local boy, and you grew up a little bit outside of Rockford, but- I was
1: actually born in uh, Chicago, on the south side of Chicago. Uh, started to grow up in the Beverly neighborhood. And then when I was nine, my dad decided to buy a farm uh, near Pecatonica. Went to uh, Pecatonica schools, graduated from there, Went to what was then called Rockford College, now Rockford University, got my bachelor's degree and then uh, started working at what was then called Sunstrand, now Collins Aerospace and in accounting and eventually got a master's degree in taxation from DePaul, ended up working at Woodward for many years as well. So your financial
0: background is both you were a CPA, right? And then taxation is a specialty and if you don't mind, where'd you end up? if you will at woodward and the type of responsibilities you had
1: well what got me i guess in the door at woodward was there was a need for a tax person the, there was a, a person who had left and so there was a filling of that position and while i was in the position i ended up accumulating some other responsibilities investor relations treasury some business development work yeah and i kind of got an appetite Uh, for doing some different things besides tax. What all those things kinda had to do with each other is it was dealing with a lot of people from outside the company. I didn't really realize it at the time, but in looking back, it was maybe explaining what the company does or explaining why its financials were in compliance or why they really ought to invest, consider investing or lending.
0: So one of the things that we wanna do here is make people aware of Woodward is an international corporation and also a publicly traded corporation. So you're explaining to folks on Wall Street why Woodward's a good investment.
1: My job was to make sure they understood what it did and then understand the financials, the underlying you know, challenges and opportunities that Woodward faced and that they had accurate information. And that was all shared publicly, you know, fairly and in compliance with the SEC requirements. And, you know, that was a good challenge for somebody who came up as a CPA to work on those interpersonal skills. And, you know, it was a good challenge also to go into Midtown Manhattan and get grilled by the the world's toughest, probably most hard-bitten financial people. Why am I even giving you 15 minutes? You know, you've got two to explain why I don't toss you out of here and, I, and and free up some of my time. You had to be concise. You had to get to the point, and uh, you had to make an impact. It was a good lesson. And, again, kind of got thrown into the role because there was a void, and I either raised my hand or I didn't take a step back when the opportunity came up. And either way, it drew upon some of the education, actually, that I got earlier, particularly like at Rockford University. While I came out of there with an accounting degree, I also was taught to you know, be a team player, taught to be a listener and capable of writing. And so those skills served me well, I mean, beyond just the technical accounting rules. And, and to be able to tell a story, too. I mean, that, that's credible, holds up, and they remember. Because they would get these visits from, you know, hundreds of people every year. And you had to stick in their memory. And some of those relationships actually stuck to this day.
0: Well, that's excellent. I mean, I've seen all those skills you mentioned and talked about in action over the last few years. So you've left Woodward, but you remain connected through the charitable trust or?
1: Actually, no. I mean, uh, it was about 10 years ago, almost exactly, that I said I wanted to leave Woodward. I wanted to do some things close to my community, some things that were connected to my faith. And I was involved in so many things. It was basically a year before I transitioned out and handed the work off to other people. Took a few months, and I was just sort of thinking, you know, what do I want to do with my life? You know, mending some fences, you know, some personal relationships, getting reacquainted with some. A few months later, I got a phone call from the CEO at Woodward, uh, Tom Gendron, for the idea of what became Transform Rockford.
0: Oh, okay. Let's go back real quick. Explain really in a nutshell, give us that succinct, what does Woodward do?
1: Yeah. Woodward's an energy controls company. If there's energy to be managed, energy in the form of, it could be electricity, fuel, steam, air, it makes controls, valves, actuators, things that manage that so that you get the right amount of power to the right location in certain types of equipment. Now, Where it makes those parts is generally for into the aerospace markets. They make, like, for example, fuel systems on aircraft, uh, but they also do fuel systems and controls for things like uh, natural gas turbines that uh, are used to produce electricity, steam turbines, huge diesel engines, woodwork pumps for moving diesel fuel around them, things that go on, like, ships or Caterpillar equipment, you know, where... There's a lot of power. There's a lot of engineered content that's going to be needed to make sure that this stuff operates efficiently and safely.
0: Okay, I've lived in Rockford most of my life, and now I know more about Woodward Corporation and what it does than ever before. I've obviously seen your passion for the community and change and things, but you got the call from Tom Gendron and Transform Rockford, and how did that start out, or how did you guys get that up and
1: running? Let's start off because... Tom's possibly the best listener I've ever been around. He remembered what I said the day I spoke to him and said, I want to do something connected with my faith and my community. And he said, you know, have you found that yet? This was two or three months after I'd left Woodward. I said, no, I actually I haven't. And uh, he said, well, I got an idea. It was the kind of marriage of two things. One was the view of that uh, Rockford, you know, was underperforming, could do better. He has a lot of great assets that it can make it better and the faith that both Tom and I have in a structured way of approaching things and people that can make a difference and get people engaged and caring about their community where they maybe otherwise weren't and engaged.
0: The thing I remember most about how you started out and I admired was you went straight to the community. You went straight out and started, I think you called them visioning sessions.
1: Actually preceding that was even some discussions with people about mean, you know, are they happy with things, what's in place, making sure we understood what existed in the community and what didn't. Standard approach for strategic planning is what's the baseline, where are we? And we had, as a community, right around the time I got the call, coincidentally, was the, um, maybe you remember the story in Forbes where we were named third most miserable community in America. Oh. So as a reminder, a little bit of a baseline that you may not agree with how Forbes came to that conclusion, but it's a fact that forbes did say that about us and said it to an awful lot of people and what did we say in response we want to make sure there was no void you need to be honest about the situation and you know anything that you're doing but you also need to be able to say and we're working on this and that where we have these gaps and so actually where we started before the visioning sessions was was a session that some people kind of boiled it down to calling it the brutal facts which was, this is the situation we're in. Here's the statistics, including what other people are saying or thinking about us. And that was actually round one. And then kind of say, are you happy with that? Do you want to do more? What are you doing? What are we doing to make things as good as they can be?
0: I like to call that the brutal truth. So brutal facts, brutal truth, same thing. Who were these people? Were they what we might classically call community
1: stakeholders,
0: community leadership
1: or I mean it was anybody. Anybody and everybody. I mean we went to all sorts of places. And we were really intentional about uh, you know, how we engaged with folks. I mean you, you literally couldn't go to the hundreds of thousands of individuals, but you can connect to people through their networks and reach them. And so we were, you know, intentional about um through the public sector, through governments. You can reach people. You can also reach people through the not-for-profits, through the faith community, through the business community, and connect through there. There was no one-stop shopping. But the truth is, every individual, most individuals, I should say, you know, participate in more than one network in the community, and there's ways of reaching them. may not be directly, but at least indirectly. So that was one of the first things we did was create that map of the largest networks we could find of people so as to make sure we could get at least get messages out and messages in that needed to be heard. And yeah, it was that was one of the first things to do was to actually build that before we engaged in what you're remembering as the visioning sessions.
0: I think that's very wise. And it's also one of the points of this uh, podcast is to talk about small and medium cities. And this is something that could be replicated in, I don't Fort Wayne may have already done it, or Des Moines may have already done something like this. But I find that a fascinating and a good way to go about this. You wrote that up, or you wrote those results up. Was that where you started with the top 25, or was that after the visioning
1: sessions? Or That was after the visioning sessions. We did about 50 visioning sessions, and you know, some of them we had hundreds. I don't know, maybe, maybe I don't think we had a 1,000, but we did have several hundred at some. One time, uh, I think it was in the middle of a snowstorm, I don't know, it was like a handful of people showed up at the Cherry Bowl in Cherry Valley (laughs) on on like a foot of snow night. They're also some of the most fun, you know, I mean, imagine the hardcore people that care about their community and go, I'm glad you came. And so you, you remember those folks, every one of them that made, you know, there's some of these things that made an impression on you. And the key part of it was to make sure that they were engaged and to make sure that, others were listening ourselves myself included and others because there were things to be learned there were people with you know physical challenges that would tell you about what you know it's like you know how their life could be changed so much if we had these things you know um, you had people at carpenter's place that were engaged we did a session there you know what a day in my life is like and what was beautiful about it was you know there was so much commonality of what people really wanted. That's what we wanted to get them talking about, was what do you want to see in the city? What do you want to see for your community? And they were the same things. They wanted to see the next generation flourish. They wanted people to be safe. They wanted to have jobs and decent education. and to get people at these sessions actually talking among themselves and we talked openly about shared values that we're going to conduct these things and we're going to you know, treat each other with respect and we need to pursue inclusion which was not a real common thing in 2013 and 14 to be talking about the need for inclusion uh, and, and across all every spectrum you can think of it, that we need to be intentional about that some people were you know, wanted specific agendas. That was apparent. And, but the room kind of works on it. You know, what do we really want? And you had to bet on the room that they will manage each other and bring out the best of them. The, the, but you had to have the ground rules that we're going to treat each other with respect. There were other things as well. We said, what are our community's shared values? And just kind of run them back down. I mean, they're, they're even they wrote out definitions of them. They kicked them around. They asked the community for feedback. But you know, number one was inclusion, caring, respect, transparency trustworthiness, unity, ideation, and responsibility and interconnectedness. And it's kind of cool what the definitions that they came up with. And people were advocates and passionate, and we need to do this. And like, okay. And then it wasn't about policing it, but challenging each other to live to those standards. And why are we the only ones here? Why didn't we include or, you know, well, they didn't show up. Well, did we pursue them? And we would talk about that. We don't want to just, you know, make it open to people, but we need to, you know, not just pursue their participation, we need to get their participation.
0: So are those, still, those values still listed on the Transform Rafford website? I believe so, yeah. I think today especially, now that we get into this, the fact that you guys intentionally had inclusion, and this is seven, eight years ago now. It's 2013. But you also talked about civility and respect, and you know if those things are lacking today in public discourse. But you, as I recall, maintained them in the meetings and all the activities you took on.
1: Yeah, we found a handful of really committed people who would go out on those nights and days and do these sessions. And we work with them. They have training. And it's to bring out the very best in people and, you know, to get a conversation going about, you know, keeping it on topic, keeping it constructive. You know, it's kind of like the golden rule and thinking about it in terms of how is it that, uh, you know, you would want to be treated.
0: I think that's important for Rockford and, again, across the country right now. We have to get back to civility. You can't have successful discourse about issues in a city of any kind or of any size if we're just yelling and screaming at each other. And you guys did that well, and hopefully we can start seeing some more of that around town. Tell me a little bit about the top 25 goal or vision
1: well forget the exact numbers but i think it was like 50 about 50 individual sessions and i forgot how many thousands of people you know went through it and they including picking up the cards and then we put together a team that sifted through the cards and came up with an actual after a lot of back and forth an actual written vision part of the voice in the room was you know a vision should be the goal that you go after the thing that reminds you day in day out why do i do this when you're and you roll out of bed and your heat feet hit the floor, what am I trying to accomplish, and why should I fire up about it? In the end, nobody pushed back on the notion, and many people advocated for we should be a great community, and what would define that and in the eyes of others. And certainly in that era, there was a lot of the ranking of communities. What's the best place to retire? What's the best place to live? Obviously, what's the most miserable was one that unfortunately cropped up. And so that was shorthand, you know? Top 25 was a way of saying, in very few words, what was a short story. And if okay. I'll just read it to you. And a, you know, we're a top 25 community where our people are engaged, inspired, and are leading successful and fulfilling lives. And our community is recognized as one of the very best regions in which to live. Our residents are thriving and enjoying a superior quality of life. We have transformed our community by embracing our diversity, fostering a crime-free culture, and delivering an excellent education to all our children. We have an agile, innovative, and strong economy built on the renaissance of North American manufacturing, logistics, agribusiness, and our adjacency to urban centers, such as Chicago. Our infrastructure is robust, our workforce is sought after, and our vibrant neighborhoods and cultural and recreational amenities draw people to live in this region. It should remind you, are we there yet? Do we have all those things? And it's like, no, we don't. We've got some gaps. I think we can do better. But we also have assets to draw upon. And that was key to, you know, to launching this, was the belief that we do have some great assets. And, and the visioning sessions were a chance to remind everybody of you know, what do we have to leverage to make our lives better? We are blessed with a lot of you know great things.
0: Well, I'd have a hard time arguing and changing that. I mean, shorten it maybe, but you already had the shorthand of the be a top twenty-five city. But the notion of reaching for excellence or being a superior community was something uh, then Mayor Morrissey shared. And in a way it's not gone away. I think I personally in the element our organization still strives for that. One compliment I wanna pay you and the group. Rockford has always been very negative. I've done a lot of attempts at change. And the one thing that I saw come out directly of Transform Rockford was you used to have an idea of change of some kind. All the bazookas would come out and start shooting you down right away. You know, it just was automatic. It was negativity. After those visioning sessions and after Transform Rockford had been around for a year, it was okay to talk about change. It was okay to talk about permission uh, to do better. The guns went away uh, to some extent.
1: Yeah, and you know, I wanna thank the people that drew that out too. I mean, to some extent you have to draw people out, even folks that are negative and say, you know, what we're trying to do is engage people that you know are gonna be constructive about this negativity. I mean, we started with brutal facts, some tough, tough things. As you might imagine, you know, crime statistics are not a, a very happy thing. But it's necessary that you're grounded in what the facts are or the truths um, before you embark on driving change. And so we said, you know, that's fine. You want to either complain or whatever, but we're going to turn this into something constructive. And we stayed engaged with people generally long enough, I think, that they knew we were serious about that. And so... Yeah. It's hard to be constructive and positive and drive much when you're taking a lot of incoming fire. You know, if the climate is negative or it's like, you know, why bother? You know, it's not worth it. There's there's no hope. The visioning sessions got a lot of people mobilized and motivated, frankly, that they realize there is no reason why Rockford cannot have what Dubuque or Kansas City or people, it got people talking about other communities. And, and quite honestly, if you're going to speak on the subject negatively, then, you know, explain it through benchmarks or metrics or, or what is it that makes you think that. And personally, there's no way that we are destined to be third most miserable. I, I do not accept that. <laughs> I'm, I'm wired to fight that hard. And so we did. I appreciate
0: that because Transform still exists, I think right now pivoting a little bit, and that's perhaps another podcast. You came out of that, obviously, still committed to changing the community, still committed to that vision of excellence. And I wanted to talk briefly because you have some background here. One of those advantages or assets Rockford has that I technically know little about other than appreciate the fact there's a lot of employment and good jobs, is the aerospace cluster. Could you talk about what that is and how it has happened in Rockford and where its future might lie?
1: Originally through some good fortune, but now through some more intentional activity, um, there is a cluster of companies in the Rockford area that make it one of the largest aerospace clusters or groups of companies that serves the aerospace market, companies like Boeing and Airbus and uh, Lockheed Martin. And so what Rockford had done over the years with a lot of its makers and, and engineers was it developed parts that were for, you know, highly engineered and for aircraft. And quite honestly, it's one of the markets where people will pay, as you might imagine, for maximum safety or efficiency. And so Rockford naturally gravitated to that. And Two of the larger companies in the region that people often associate with that are uh, Collins Aerospace, formerly Sunstrand, and Woodward. But there's a whole bunch of other companies as well. Some of them serve other aerospace companies in the area as well, and some of them sell directly to others. And so it's a great asset for this region. It brings a ton of money into this community. Uh, what makes the wheels go round is other people's money. Uh, so you have to be selling something or providing services to somebody. And we can't just serve each other. We've got to get some money injected into our communities. So that cluster is one of the assets that we plan to leverage. You know, when you get people engaged and they're talking about what do we have to leverage, that's a big one. These companies sometimes serve other markets besides aerospace, the, you know, the pumps or valves and things that they make. Uh, can be used in other industries. It's just the aerospace industry requires real precision and, frankly, pays for it. One of the trips I had, I don't remember
0: where I was going this a long time ago, but I was sitting next to a gentleman on the bus from Chicago, O'Hare bus, and he was telling me he was coming to a, a seminar in Rockford. And he had realized on the plane as he was flying in that the airline industry would be in terrible shape if something blew up at that conference because so many of the engineers in that room were the experts in their field worldwide. You've made a connection with Rock Valley College and Northern Illinois University to start an engineering program.
1: I think they were already inclined to do it. They were supported in their pursuit of that, encouraged to, to pursue it, and that's going well. I mean, the Rock Valley... Enrollment in the engineering program has mushroomed. It's great, and so you don't see it yet necessarily in the hiring or the employment numbers. But there's a belief that yeah, growing our own locally in, through this program is going to help not just the local economy, uh, you know, or companies, but also the economy and, and the community to thrive. Um, there's a need. There's a real need for engineers. A lot of them are retiring, and, and in these, especially in the aerospace industry, and we need to need to find new ones. And, well, honestly, somebody who grows up in this region, um, gets gets educated in this region, and, and starts their job here is more likely to stick in, in the region. So yes, the start of that was in, I think, 2015 was the announcement. The enrollment numbers are, are have marched forward very nicely.
0: I remember meeting a young gentleman who was a part of that program, and frankly, Those two years at Rock Valley that led into the NIU, his principal reason, he was able to live at home, save the money, not graduate with so much debt, et cetera, et cetera. And it had pretty good sense that a job was waiting for him at the other
1: end. Let me poke at this a little bit, make it maybe a little bit more interesting and and, and poke at some of the controversy behind it. It's like, well, it's a nice, natural thing. Sounds like people supported it, and it was great. But let me be clear, we didn't have it. (laughs) (laughs) OK, <laughs> <laughs> It
0: wasn't natural.
1: so, you know, I think there's enough years or statute of limitation have gone by uh, that, you know, say, you know, there, there were reasons for it. And those were unacceptable. And some folks took it upon themselves. And I encouraged them to take it upon themselves to support those that were going to fill that void. And I'm, you know, and, and I'm glad they did. But sometimes those meetings, those conversations were a little bit tough. You know, and I think the the key point is remember that to the extent that anybody wants to be successful in aligning other parties, it's got to be their own idea. If you're pushing on a rope, you're not going to get anything done. NIU stepped up in a big way to say, yes, let's do that. And also the community stepped up in a big way. If you go into the facilities, the engineering facility, it's very impressive. But I think there was over, if I remember correctly, $7.5 million raised to both renovate the facility and to fund scholarships. And so... The, the, the tail on this is really long. The payback for the community you know, is going to be measured in decades um, for this.
0: But there is a great example of the positive aspects in Rockford where local corporations are willing to step up, yeah. participate with NIU, write some checks. $7.5 million dollars worth of an investment is not insignificant, and I probably bet there's very few people who are aware of that.
1: Yeah, um, but maybe your neighbor or somebody in your family can take advantage of it because this that is maybe a few years old, but it was that in the case if you had a young person or any person wants to go to Rock Valley and then on to NIU for their engineering degree, you could get that done for if you had no financial aid for under $40,000. And that's really uncommon. And knowing that they're going to knock down the door locally or or nationally for your... Uh, services when you come out of it. Now, it's hard work for four years, but engineering's not for everybody. But the question was, why don't we grow our own here? And the answer was, yeah, we should. And, and, and good folks stepped up in a big way. Well, kudos to everyone involved. I think that's just a, a great
0: program and a great example of what happens when we stop the silo
1: business and we get together. And I think what's great is that both schools of course, and many of the companies that were key to making this happen, their leadership has changed. You know, it's not the same people that decided in 2015 that they've moved on. But the organizations remain engaged and committed to to making that program work, because it makes sense. That's where a program goes from being a good idea, happening, but becomes sustainable. Was when those leadership changes take place, and they keep it going. That's that's the definition of sustainable. There were sleepless nights. Can we do this? Are they going to back out? What if this? What if they, you know? It, it's tough. The people that, that led that effort really had to persevere through some things. And as you might imagine, there were people who were quick to point out, "Well, maybe there's a reason we don't have it. This is Rockford. Uh, you know, the sorts of you know the litany, the litany of things of well, like either. you you know." Maybe you shouldn't poke at that. And then there's, the, there's a long list of those things that maybe you shouldn't poke at, that maybe Rockford should be different. Maybe Rockford shouldn't have these sorts of things. Maybe Rockford shouldn't be respectful or inclusive. Oh, really? Well, that's that's another great reason to have this room full of people. Come on in. What was it? What were you saying about that? And like, well, um, they soften. <laughs> and they realize that they should pursue what's best for the community. They could pursue their own self-interest, at the same time of course well they have to have a payoff of some kind yeah right everybody does
0: this again is just a one concrete example of the kinds of things that frankly probably wouldn't have happened without transform Rockford to go back there i
1: mean that attitudes changed i'm okay not being certain <laughs> i'm just <laughs> but the one thing i said was i'm not okay with not moving toward top 25 who exactly is the you know stick that stirs the drink i don't know i don't care just do it. Somebody do it. (laughs) Just keep going towards that vision. Yeah. Confidence that we'll figure it out and we should have the resources and be supported by others. Uh, If we're benchmarking with others that have done it before, we're following best practices, do it in a smart, educated way.
0: Excellent. The other cluster I wanted to talk about is logistics. If I'm not mistaken, you're currently on the Chicago Rockford International Airport Board. In my past involvement the logistic cluster, it goes beyond just the airport. I mean, the airport's probably the hub of it. Probably it is the hub of it. But can you give us a little bit of a description as you see the logistics sector now
1: and going forward? We're blessed with you know, two major things. One is you know, incredible infrastructure that those that came before us you know, built in, in our backyard you know, I-39, I-90, U.S. 20. Um, They're the ones that arrange to have, you know, Canadian National, Burlington Northern, Union Pacific going through and around our community and to build a nearly two-mile-long runway that can handle any aircraft. All these things are in our region. That sort of infrastructure was built and has been tended to and upgraded over the years. And the second thing that we're blessed with is proximity to one of the biggest markets in the world, uh, Chicago really is. It's also one of the most congested markets as well. I, I don't know what it, exactly the numbers are, but it, it takes basically as long for freight to get from uh, by train from San Diego to Rochelle as from Rochelle to Indiana. You know, to have to go through Chicago is, is a nightmare. And, and and so why would you want to put that sort of logistics infrastructure, just further stress the Chicagoland? And so, you know, we're blessed with the proximity. And quite honestly, their challenge can be, you know, something we can help with and, and and deal with. And that's part of what the airport is doing. But also, especially what you see going on in Rochelle, a lot of the businesses there are escaping the congestion and and getting their their work done there um, along the rail lines um, and taking advantage of those those assets. And and the community is rallying around that and saying, yes, we can bring jobs, we can bring money and investment uh, by leveraging that infrastructure.
0: I once realized, I don't remember where I got this, but if it's not the top, I-39 is among the most traveled truck routes in the country. I used to think the big one's 95 and going into Chicago. Well, the real logistics and goods and services are driving down I-39.
1: You see that, um, and people are discovering that more and more, that not only should the truck go there, but maybe the facility that, you know, warehouses the inventory or, you know, services it or, you know, the sales offices. I mean, more and more, that, that is occurring on I-39, that I-39 corridor. And it, it's, it's powerful. It, it, and it's in the early stages of being really discovered.
0: So that's an opportunity for growth into the future, is to exploit that, uh, take greater advantage of it. Now, Amazon has made a couple, more than a couple, probably significant investments. But one of the things we talked about is this notion of <laughs> people flying stuff over from Europe and letting it getting it here for distribution out mm-hmm. and it's smaller companies it's not necessarily Amazon or but the airport's recently made a couple of investments in that area
1: yeah it, it's it's something that's really only started recently um, the international cargo business in a in a big way consistent way at uh, the airport at the rockford airport um, and that is something that you know the team at the airport Is pursued for at least ten years prior, but you got to build your pedigree. Who wants to be the first one? When I land, are you going to be there? Is somebody going to be there to you know, you know, handle, you know, help, help with the unloading? Obviously, is there going to be somebody there from customs so we can get in and out of here reasonably well? What are the roads like, and 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 all the stuff? Do you have the equipment to handle this, and so on? Convincing that first one that you're going to do it well. You know it is tough and then word of mouth really has taken over and the first flight like that that i recall was july of 2020 and it's mushroom since then and because uh, a lot of good people at the airport and at companies that work on the airport grounds made sure that people have gotten a good experience and Quite honestly, it's easier to do business in Rockford than, in some cases, other places, too. Let's be honest, it's a competitive thing. Any of these businesses are competitive. Why should we do this here versus there? I visited a similar-sized community just a few hours away several years ago, and they, they so wish they had our infrastructure and our proximity, specifically to Chicago. And so why would you go to you know, fly into you know, another community that you was know, a few hours further west and you know, further from Chicago, you can avoid the the headaches of Chicago and still get great service in Rock. And so, a lot of folks worked together to get that first one, and then the airport had to invest too.
0: Kudos to Mike Dunn, senior, who's been the executive director now for a number of years, and as I recall, started on the board probably about 20 years ago. But he certainly was someone who brought that vision, expanded it, grew it. These things, as you talked about, don't happen overnight. I mean, it does take that time and build the relationships and build the trust. And again, this is work. If we get into workforce development and workforce training. Uh, these are now becoming better-paying jobs. And there's some jobs that are over. I can't remember the name of the facility that does maintenance. Uh, Rock Valley. Do you remember the name? No, sorry. Okay. They're, they're, they're doing the maintenance of 757s seven, and things.
1: AAR is, yes. yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, is on the grounds. And, yeah, I mean, that, that shop is really humming these days with the service. Yeah, they're serving planes that generally that don't ordinarily fly into Rockford, but uh, some that do. It's a busy place. Uh, it was busy before, but it's gotten a lot busier and likely will continue. We're taking a break right now. It's time to refill our bank account.
0: We'd like to thank the Eckberg Insurance Group for supporting the Elements for the Rock podcast. Please go to Eckberg.com to connect with Tyler Pickering. He'll work with you on all your insurance needs, whether they be personal, business, or not-for-profit. Once again, go to Eckberg.com for all your insurance needs. So we have, and I was doing a little research, uh, I found out that there's the uptick in growth, potentially in the aerospace industry, at least by most financial forecast. So we've got logistics that looks like a growth sector over the next five to 10 years. Aerospace looks like a growth sector over the a recovery slash growth sector over the next five to 10 years. What else are you optimistic
1: about in Rockford? let start off with, uh, I mean, we're, we're, natural resources. I mean we're blessed with some of the most fertile soil in in our area uh, of anywhere in the world and water. You heard me maybe mention agribusiness earlier. Um, I still believe that it's a natural for that. Still the majority of our um, fruit and vegetables is coming in from elsewhere and I I would rather have a Northern Illinois grown tomato that rather than one that was picked One or 2,000 miles from here and when it was green and rock hard and hoping it turns out okay when it gets here. I think there's more and more opportunity for for that sort of thing with those assets. And just from a recreational standpoint, too, the natural things that we have, the rivers and the, the woods, and that we've had the foresight as a community to set a lot of those properties aside so that they're there for people to enjoy and to maintain a natural environment that's a healthy place to live.
0: We have as many, if not more, forest preserves within Winnebago County and Boone County than probably any geographic area our size in the country. I mean, I'm stunned, always stunned by when I look at a map, how green it is.
1: You know, I talked about benchmarking earlier, too. You take a look at other communities in the Midwest. The Winnebago County Forest District is, is an amazing asset and the properties. It has. And if people more often in the Rockford community talk about the park district, which is an amazing asset, the services, facilities, um, natural resources that it has, but it's complemented by an amazing Forest Preserve District. It's something that certainly attracts visitors, but it also attracts people that want to live here as well. And so I still think that there's an opportunity for these sorts of quality of life, you know, this cost-of-living opportunities to get the story out of, you know, the reasons to live in the Rockford region. I'm happy to see that the city of Rockford has supported an effort to promote that to people who potentially will be living in, in the community, and I think there's a lot to sell people on.
0: If you don't mind, why don't you explain that Uh, I know there's a recruitment program about to start or on the verge of starting and and Woodward Charitable Trust played a role in that. Can you explain what the program is?
1: Um, It's still being put together, but I think it's going to be marketing directly to people potentially who would want to live here. Um, Some of those folks would include people who would maybe boomerang back here. Honestly, engage families. You maybe. In a cheeky way, maybe, maybe straightforward, but point is come on home. You know, you've got a you've got a natural support system. You know, mom wants to be a babysitter. Come on back, right? There's a lot to sell about the quality of life. We can also talk about the challenges that need to be addressed, and rather than make light of them, talk about the things that we're doing to to improve that. Having that, we're working on it attitude, and we better be working on it while at the same time credibly, accurately, marketing the region for, as to why people should wish to live here can help grow the economy, the population. It's not a secret we've been losing population in recent years in both Illinois and in Rockford uh, region, and let's get that addressed. Um, it's in everybody's best interest to keep stores full, um, neighborhoods full, and, and vibrant.
0: Well, the elements mission started some 12 years ago. And part of that was to attract artists. But as we got into it, the more we realized we think of ourselves as an economic development group, actually, because what we want to pursue is improving the quality of life in Rockford. Because if you improve the quality of life, you tend to retain employees and retain people
1: and attract new ones rather than have this loss. It's one of those things that needs to be tended to, in my opinion, and, and brought along, the artistic, cultural, recreational amenities that are here in a community. A big part of why people live where they do or why they, why they leave a place. And so we need to tend to that, that. Those things don't always just happen if you look at what other communities do, again, benchmark with them. They're intentional about being supportive of artists and and the sorts of environments that that allow them to thrive and and create an environment that's healthy for people to live. And that's just fun, too, to be around creative people. You learn, you're challenged, you you grow, and you end up appreciating that. Kudos here to uh, the CVB, John Groh and his group.
0: The, the sculpture program, along with the park district involved there, the mural program, the beautification over the last four to five years, I think it's had tremendous impact. And downtown is so much healthier, coming out of COVID, so much healthier than I would have imagined. How did you think it was going to end up, uh, let's say two years ago, what would you have thought?
1: Well, I don't think we're out of the woods at this moment. I think there's going to be some things that have won't change forever and some of the old things that we you know missed are going to be coming back and we'll figure it out all those folks that have been you know hanging in there tough or planning to reopen you now it's going to be an exciting time to figure out what happens as as hopefully we're transitioning from pandemic to something less and um, you know we get back to doing some of these things face to face and as as large communities and so you've got the organizations you mentioned the element you mentioned the convention and visitors bureau Um they're doing this, and also, I mean, the residents, the neighbors, that just go, you know what? We're going to do Polish Fest year in, year out. That's it. Like right. they don't, they didn't ask for much permission. Maybe they get a permit, but I mean, they just go, we're going to do it, and you're welcome. Everybody's welcome. Those are the sorts of things that an intangible that people want to be around and not that that one is for everybody but that sort of initiative and stick-to-itiveness uh, that's cool and it, you want that in a community it makes it more resilient than just waiting for you know city government to tell us it's okay to have a festival right and and so that's part of what in my mind you know the element it, it helps spawn some of that more spontaneous stuff a little closer to the grassroots and you need that while you also need that you know citywide planning Countywide, wide region-wide. What do
0: you see as we listed some of the assets, but what, I don't know how to phrase this, potential's a funny word, but what do you think Rockford's potential is or where, if you had a strategy out three to five, six, seven years, what would you be building on now? What would you be thinking about? Or what gaps would you fill or issues, problems, areas would you address?
1: There's two major things that people are looking for when they move to a community more than anything else. They want that, that fit and feel, but also in addition to that, am I going to be safe? Is my child going to be receive a good education? We can't do enough to address that in the community. I would say that we, just, we got to redouble efforts all the time on that. Those are the two top measuring sticks that people use when they decide about a community. So I'm optimistic that we're going to keep after these things. But I would say those, the stats on that are still a challenge. And I'm not really breaking any news with that, but we got to stay after that. And I wish we had more stuff going on. Part of my interest is to see that we push forward on things, particularly on the educational front and opportunities. To have thousands of unfilled jobs and not enough people in the schools to fill those jobs is a cry and shame. And while at the same time, this community generally had the highest unemployment rate in the state, or one of the highest unemployment rates in the state. And that's got to change.
0: It's always funny to me because we have plenty of jobs to fill. I mean, we have thousands, literally thousands of jobs. And which, again, this is another one now that we think of as local, but it's really a national issue. Crime and education, you talked about to any city our size, plus or minus 20%. And crime and schools, et cetera, are going
1: to be there as issues. Right. It is. And so we've got to stay on that. And we, we should be able to rattle off, here's the three things we're doing on this or that. And so, I mean, I'm aware of some of the things. I just would like to see our residents literate in it and even more work done to address those things on other topics, too. And all of these things. There should be, we, need, we don't have too many initiatives, in my opinion.
0: The list of things that the community could use, not need need and or use, to me is virtually endless. The element has started a number of programs and then somebody else will pick one up, or somebody will say, we're competing with somebody, and we'll say, fine, you take that. Because we've got a list of 45 or 50 events, projects, programs, or whatever, so there's plenty to do in this town. And you're one who's an activist. What are the ways that people can get involved? Let me say it this way. I think one of the most remarkable things about Rockford is it is very easy to get involved and make a difference. And I'm not sure that's true in every city, but I know it's true here.
1: One of the best ways that I would suggest is to participate in your neighborhood organization. You know, if you don't know how to meet with it, there's there's two great ways to get on board with that. Either Barb Chidley through the City of Rockford, she's the the Neighborhoods Director, I believe is her title, and also through the Great Neighborhoods Organization, people can get connected that way and say, how do I get connected? And it's kind of a shame that there are still many neighborhoods that aren't really organized that don't get together to do things and to make sure that things get addressed, that you know, the potholes get fixed, that they connect with their aldermen to get issues that matter to the, you know, on the very, very local level, get them addressed. And it's one of the best ways. It's an on-ramp to so many other things in the community is through these neighborhood organizations. And that has an incredible positive effect on the community. I want people to actually be engaged, but also be proud of where they live and be able to tell me, hey, so you live over there. What could I do? What should I do if I go and visit in your neighborhood? What should I, what's the one or two things I'd like to see? Maybe that's me and I'm naturally curious about her. I'll find a way to make time to go through the neighborhood. But I want to know those things and be proud of it, share about it. And actually, if you do it the right way and you engage with people, they do want to tell you. They do want to share. They, they are proud, generally. And when they get together in a neighborhood organization, it's more powerful. So you know, one of the things that's kind of personal to me is I, would, I just wish we were more literate as a community, and as community leaders, in what are our neighborhoods, and who are the local leaders in them, and use it. And that's one of my my things. I've challenged the local media. They don't know the neighborhoods, and they think it's good enough to refer to something as, "Well, that happened on the West Side." Well, let's call it what it is. It's Signal Hill. It's Ellis Heights. You know, have a little respect for the. The neighborhood and the people that live there and make us a little bit better and aware of that. Well, I think any city's identity comes
0: down to those districts. So whether it's the Predator Hill District or, or Justin Fern, who has done such a great job of urban equity properties, done such a great job of downtown apartments. And 10 years ago there were none, and now there's like 500. But he is taking initiative around parts of South Maine as, I think, the Waterworks District. And those things provide identity and that closeness.
1: You need identity and you need to promote it. You need to be able to sell people on why they should live and stay in these places, but it will only be sustainable if the residents take it up and carry it forward. I mean, we could sit here in a conference room and pull out a map and, and give everybody a name and a capital block or something, you know, but but if the residents are proud and they, they organize it. and just take a look at like what's happened uh, around the North End, you know, you got four neighborhoods that kind of converge there. I can't say I know for sure and the pandemic probably throws everybody a curve but they have their own individual identities and the things that they're proud of and they also came together and collaborated on a number of things that's an example of when it's working and it's pretty cool you know if you don't know the four neighborhoods that come together there you've got some homework to do
0: well it's churchills grove and edgewater i know for certain uh those two i'm not sure of the other ones but for instance the uh, north Main true to north Main, the bike race or bike ride Beautiful. Those sorts of things. And we can always use more of that. There really is no limit to the number of events and things that people can be engaged in. And that's actually one of the things we're hoping for going forward is to create more of those. So one of the questions, and you've already stated some stuff, but maybe you can pick something uh, they haven't talked about yet. Part of the podcast we want to have is vision. A city dies without vision. You obviously did a lot of visioning with Transform and have continued it. So what larger vision or a specific vision would you uh, have us wrap up with that you would like to see Rockford embrace, or you'd facilitate over the next three to five years?
1: Well, rather than give him, <laughs> give people a specific vision, I, I would challenge them to, you know, find their own element of of the vision that they connect with, and then challenge themselves: What are you doing to drive that forward? How are you engaged? You know, one of the ways of of being engaged can be. Um, even to make sure you're listening and supporting others who are doing the work or challenging them or holding them accountable. Get engaged. I mean, if if you see that, hey, there's a bunch of federal money that came in to change this about the community, well, what were the results? What did you do? What did you spend it on? That's healthy. Leaders in every sector need that sort of engagement and accountability, but, just, you know, keep it respectful, keep it constructive, but you can be challenging and... And should be this. This isn't easy stuff. If you want to go from good to great, you're going to have to have to do some things that are a little uncomfortable. So I would I would challenge folks is find ways to get engaged. Find things that you in particular are passionate about. There, there's any of a number of things that you could. Whether it's your own neighborhood, whether it's others' neighborhoods. This is my observation. I think the community is a rich well of compassion. You know, as a compassionate people and empathy for others and not just for people who are downtrodden, but others who maybe just aren't connected or don't appreciate or, or some way have potential that they haven't yet realized or tapped into. So part of it is, is caring about others. And it's one of the reasons that um, at Transform, we engage the faith communities a lot. Quite honestly, people are connected with their faith and they recognize they're connected to something bigger. And part of that is that you know they define themselves by their relationship To others? And what have you done to help make anybody else's life better or easier?
0: Well, thank you for that one. I like that. That's a great response. And I think it's important that people have to understand, well, Gandhi, you know, be the change you seek or you want to see. And we don't have enough of that. People do have to become more engaged. And COVID has put a dent in that. But hopefully over the next couple of years, we can ramp it back up.
1: Yeah, that is a challenge for us. I mean, I, I would say there's also a national tide, too. You know, right now, the headlines are about what are, you know, my rights. A little less about what is my relationship to my fellow man.
0: And my community and how can I right. improve it. It's more about tearing down the other guys,
1: so to speak. Well, it's hard to see some of this stuff as constructive. The question is, how do you define yourself? Or do you define yourself by, you know, almost everybody when you engage them eventually talks about their relationship to their community and other people. And then it's easy. It's an easy, respectful conversation about, well, how do we best get you connected and engaged with others? And let's, let's do that. Everybody can start by just you know reflecting on that privately and going home well, what is the best version of me um, hmm. And if you're honest with yourself, you know, you'll, you'll see some opportunities. We don't have to make it hard for people by saying, well, you got to come out and tell us that in public. No, you can do that privately and then work on it yourself privately. It, the transformation, I believe, you know, begins inside of people. And it's not trite. I mean, if you're not motivated personally, I can't force you.
0: I think that's very true. And along with being the best version of yourself, how do you help make it yeah. the best version of Rockford or the Rockford region?
1: Yeah. And at the same time, be aware. When we started with the Transform Rockford initiative, that notion of, well, what do you think about the community? Nobody necessarily thought about it that much. I'm sure mayors and uh, you know, elected officials sort of do, but they don't necessarily think about, well, boy, that business, had, we need to hang onto that business or attract the business or grow. Sometimes they're working really hard to keep the streets you know paved and plowed and officers uh, in uniform. You can't drop that responsibility off on any one person. But quite honestly, there is such a thing as a community.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Mike. We appreciate it. Our guest has been Mike uh, Shablosky and a community activist involved in far too many projects to mention at one time. And we thank him for being a part of the uh, second Element podcast.
1: Thank you for listening to another
0: Ford the Rock podcast by The Element. You can find us on Apple, Google, or any place
1: you typically access your podcasts.